time with God every day. Every day. Every day. I will spend time with God. I will pray. I will pray. 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 I will pray. I will be holy. I will be holy. 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 I will be. I will be holy. I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation. My generation. My generation. I will fulfill God's purpose. God's purpose for my generation. For me and my generation. My generation. I will live the vow. Most of you know this, but Lifeway Research uh, is a, a Baptist research uh, company, and in, in 2007, they came out with a research uh, statistic that said that two, two of, uh, in three, in 2007, two of three, two-thirds of all high school students that grew up in the local church uh, during their years, 18 to 25, during their collegiate years, or typically the college years, some people it's more like 18 to... But anyway, but the 18 to 25, sorry, Dan. All right, but the 18 to 25, that age group right there, that in those seven years, two-thirds of them walk away from the church. It's hard to measure exactly what people's salvation looks like, and that wasn't the goal of the research, but the goal of the research was strictly along the lines of participation in the local church. Attendance, participation, committed to Jesus and the body of Christ. Of course, we know that it's very vogue in our, in our day to say, I love God, but I don't like the church. And, uh, and that's become kind of a, bo- a vogue, kind of hyper cool kind of thing. And of course, we know it's unbiblical and wrong that you, can't, you, you cannot read the scriptures and say, I'm committed to Jesus, but I'm not committed to church. We are his bride and we are the people that he's transforming and we are the vessel that he's decided to use. And so to say, I love God, but I hate church because I'm bitter and hurt is mostly just expressing our pain rather than expressing uh, anything new that people have been hurt by church all through the years, all through decades and centuries. In fact, I was in a church history class and they were talking about, I shouldn't say this, but they were, we were going through all the disappointment in the first thousand years as they talked about scandals and the church and it's horrific, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine, but it is true, and we are an imperfect people trying to seek Jesus, trying to move forward, and yet we have two-thirds teenagers that grew up, say, late 90s, you know, early part of 2000. Most of them grew up, let's call it, you know, in the 90s and up to 2005, grew up in some form of youth group, grew up in some form of church, and two-thirds of them walk away from the faith. Two-thirds of them walk away from church. I don't, I'm not measuring. I'm not measuring. Only Jesus can measure their heart. But they walk away from at least participating in, 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 in gathering together as the body of Christ community. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not surprised by that. I, I grew up in youth group and Youth group in my high school days, but a little bit before your days, that was, my days was Carmen and DC Talk, and Michael W. Smith, and uh, Amy Grant, Fat, Fat Baby, and uh, you don't know that song, but I do. And, uh, and I grew up, I grew up in, in, a, in, a, in church culture. I grew up um, where, you know, watching where Wednesday nights was popping balloons with your butt, playing Chubby Bunny, having pizza eating contests. And, and, and realistically, even when I look at that kind of uh, surfacey experience in local church, uh, it's no question to me that, that realistically so many were participators rather than disciples, just by nature of attending that kind of thing. And so about a year, and a, a year ago when, when, uh, when we began to kind of craft 
a methodology of how to reach young people in Colorado Springs. We began to talk about a method that is not, that is not popcorn and peanuts, pop them with your butt, but trying to really make disciples. That's part of the vision here. Part of the vision is to try to make relational disciples, people that really know Jesus in terms of teenagers. Methodology that we want to try to do that is through people. And so we don't have a really, really rock star, amazing, hyper cool, uber, you know, 2011 plasma free TV for every kid that comes kind of method. Instead, instead, our vision is young people leading young people. It's you leading young people. And so the whole strategy to have you, campus groups, leading prayer meetings is you are the example. You see, when Ian Bounds, he's an author on prayer. Anybody in the furnace over time should run into a couple Ian Bounds books. But he says, men are always pressing and looking for better methods, but God's looking for better men. The truth is, is that we can sit around all day long and come up with new cool ways to create, you know, nerf javelins and beat each other up and all kinds of methodology. But at the end of the day, it's dry and it's dead if there is not the life of Jesus. And so the goal and the dream is to have leaders, leaders, leaders that lead young people to Jesus, leaders that press know them, walk with them. And I believe the great need of the hour right now, the way that the next generation might possibly not turn out, we might not have the statistic in 2027 that we did in 2007, is that over the next number of years, you and I, at least in this house, so that the statistic in this house I believe that the way that we are not just the 2,000 statistic where two-thirds of the students in this house end up living for themselves, pursuing atheism. It's common today. They're they're inundated with the atheist debate. Sexual immorality is uh, unprecedented. The way that we will see that statistic not be true of this house is to the level that you lead, that you lead. And so I want to encourage you tonight, encourage myself to lead well, to lead strong. I'm gonna pull a few ideas out of, uh, out of Exodus, out of the life of Moses. Verse seven, if you have your Bible. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from camp. And called, the ta- and, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. So sim- symbolically, this is when Moses goes outside the hubbub of activity. So the Israelites are going through the wilderness. You know the story. Takes 40 years. I mean, they are a long time out in the wilderness. That many people doing life together, daily walking. It's a lot of activity. Tabernacle of meeting means that Moses, the leader, goes outside the camp to spend time with God. All right? So he creates... Uh, connects with God in this tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it took one guy to go out first, and then everybody else follows. It's typical of leadership. 
And so it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent and watched Moses until he was gone, had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Say that again. And the Lord talked with Moses. Let's just really lock in with that. Yahweh, God, King of kings, creator, talks to a man. And the Lord talked with Moses, and all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to camp. We know this. We see the example over and over again. When Moses goes away, he connects with God. He comes back, talks to the people, leads the people. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Let me just read that again. So, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. It's interesting because if, if you really want to look at who Joshua was and what Joshua's story was, most historians believe that Joshua was born before the uh, Israelites left Egypt. So he was born into Egyptian captivity. He was born as a slave. Most historians believe, based upon the years, that that was the time that Joshua was born, which would mean that Joshua grew up as a little boy watching where some people, i.e. his people, the Israelites, lived in slavery, and he watched the Egyptians live with wealth. He watched the Egyptians possess much. And so he saw the Egyptians have a better life, and he lived as a slave. So you can imagine he's growing up as a little boy, then growing into maybe a teenager, and who knows at what age Moses enters onto the scene. But if you can imagine, he knows the story. Well, he knows Jacob had 12 sons, and Joseph was sold as a slave to Egypt Joseph went to prison. Joseph emerged out of prison, became essentially the vice president or the number two in command. And lo and behold, all of the, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, come to Israel and all of their families come. And God opens the door so that Joshua watch it, knows the story of Joseph, who generations earlier was so blessed. And Joseph was so an Israelite, was so honored among Egypt that he was the number two. And the people got to come and Egypt, the Pharaoh wanted to bless Joseph and he loved Joseph and he wanted to save the people. And so he brought all of, all of Joseph's family. And Jacob, Joseph's dad, all of their family moved to Egypt. And they started a new life there. And it wasn't Generation, 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 400 years later, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, and the way that Joshua grows up is there's not a memory among them about his forefathers. They just live as slaves. So you can imagine if you've got the memory of, wait a minute, my people, I mean, my people are, are, are blessed. I mean, my, Abraham is our father, and God talked to Abraham, and, and, and we are God's covenant people, and we're in slavery. 
And I've only got the memory, the, the, the legacy, the stories. But what I see with my eyes, it's a mess. We're living in slavery and it's hard and it's rough. So you can only imagine if, if, if you've known that it's been generation after generation and it goes back 400 years since they were free. You can imagine that undoubtedly if you try to get into his psyche, what is it like some dude named Moses shows up on the scene? He's a bad old dude. I mean, this guy Moses steps onto the scene of history and confronts the Pharaoh. I mean, he confronts the most powerful man in the land, in the world at that time. So I don't know if you can picture it, but if you're Joshua and you're Joshua's buddies, and all of a sudden this guy shows up, and he's like a tough guy. I mean, he's a guy that he grows up in Pharaoh's house, and he's so frustrated with the slavery. He's so frustrated that his people are enslaved that he literally lashes out, he kills an Egyptian. He's so upset at the way that things are, and he runs to the wilderness. Now, if you're living in slavery and you hear about that, one of your people growing up in the Pharaoh's house, and wait a minute, Moses, he's so frustrated about how he lived that he took a guy out and gave up, if you will, all that he had as a wealthy, rich son of Pharaoh. And now, now he's, he's, he's coming back and he's going to confront, he's going to confront the most powerful man. If you are Joshua, I want you to imagine, you've got all of this, you've got you know, years and years of history where your family, your people have been enslaved. Moses shows up on the scene, and Moses is a bad old dude. I mean, tough, tough guy. And you can imagine he walks in and let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. River turns to blood. Joshua and his buddies, they're probably, you know, teenagers heckling. They're like, what's up? Rivers of blood. Like, dude, I like that boy, Mo. He's he's a tough dude. He, I mean, goes to the most powerful man, the most powerful man in the land. Let my people go. Fine. Frogs. And imagine if you're Joshua, because Joshua and the Israelites they lived in Goshen, and Goshen was the area where the Israelites did not have the plague. So God protected the Israelites. From the plagues. <laughs> so it's not like they're like, oh man, he's, he's, he's getting those guys, but man, I hate these frogs. It's like they're sitting back, they've got home court advantage, and they're just watching the frogs on the people that have enslaved them. They're like, I love this guy, Moses. Dude, this guy is awesome. And you got to think, I mean, they're desperate for male leadership. Remember the story? Moses, Moses was like killed, Remember? Uh, sorry, all the guys that are, two, that are under two years old were killed, and Moses was the little baby in the basket. All the, the whole generation of baby boys, of Israelite baby boys, was killed. So there's like a, a missing gap of men. And they're like, dude, I've never seen a 39-year-old, you know? Everybody 38, 40, you're gone. No, I mean, 
I just picture Moses, he's probably about 34, blonde hair, five foot five, you know, <laughs> squeaky voice, can't grow a beard. All that Charleston Hessen stuff, hogwash. <laughs> anyway. They're like, who's Charleston Heston? <laughs> They're like, talk Prince of Egypt talk. That's more 1990s. So if you can imagine, though, it happens over and over again. And I just picture Joshua and these guys watching as there's a, a, a man that confronts the enemy. Fearlessly. And, you know, it's kind of funny because we read about Moses saying, hey, give me, give me my brother Aaron because... I can't talk. But then you read the rest of Exodus, Aaron never talks. It's like, he just needed a bro. All dudes need a bro with them. I just need my bro with me. And then Moses is like, shut up, boy. I'm the one that saw the burning bush, you know. Moses is the one leads, like, leads with strength. You can go right through it. The gnats, the flies, livestock, boils, thunder and hail, locusts, darkness. You've just got this guy comes in, he's determined, he won't give up. I think he's probably a bit stoic. He's speaking for God. It's just this mix of John Wayne, Sean Connery, and Benny Hinn. You know, all at once, you know, like. It's like, maybe not the Benny Hinn part, but I don't know. We're talking Moses, he's a good leader. And so when I look at Exodus 33, I've read commentaries about guys that have said why Joshua would stay behind in the tent, the young aide. Well, and I've read many different opinions. Some people say, you know, Joshua needed to guard the tent. And I'm like, guard from what, you know? <laughs> Some commentaries say Joshua probably needed to tidy it up. I'm like, that's just weenie-ish, and that's not true. I don't believe that. I think unquestionably, if we ask the question, why on earth, why, why does Joshua stay in the tent? Why does Joshua, the young aide, son of none, why? And I think if you could imagine being Joshua and you watched him confront the Pharaoh and he was ticked off about the way people were enslaved, had the power of God. He led them out of Egypt, and then he led them through the Red Sea. Undoubtedly, you understand, God's doing all the work. It is God, but there is a man that God's using. There is a man that's confronting the enemy. There is a man. I think undoubtedly there's a one reason why Joshua stays in the tent. I think he wants to be like Moses. I think Joshua sees a man that leads. Tonight, my talk, I'm still in my introduction here. Sorry. Tonight, my talk is called Lead Like Moses. Lead like Moses, set a generation free. Lead like Moses, and find those that are enslaved. Not enslaved to a pharaoh, but enslaved to the devil. Slave to sexual immorality, fear, rejection, shame. 
but the very God who came upon Moses is the God who we read about in Acts 1 and 2 comes upon us. What happens if God raises up tonight a hundred Moseses that lead? Number one, Moses leads. You can imagine Pharaoh, powerful. God comes to Moses, tells him to lead. Moses immediately feels unqualified. God, are you kidding me? I just, I, 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 I'm the guy that just killed an Egyptian. I'm out here, I'm a goat herder. Don't you have a better man? Every single person that God calls to lead feels unqualified. You're no different. Half of you hear this and you go, I'm no Moses. I got this struggle. I got this problem. Once I'm financially strong, then I'll lead like Moses. Once I have my education, then I'll lead like Moses. Once I have a car that has reverse, I'll lead like Moses. <laughs> Just kidding. Nothing but love from a boy. <laughs> I love you, Levi. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> That's how all of us feel. That's how Moses felt. Moses immediately goes, surely not me, God. Surely not me. No way, no how. Got too much of a bad history. I'm not your man. And I want to tell you that you will feel that way. Every single one of you. You'll feel that way. I feel that way. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your skill level. Your looks. Your education. Where you're from. If you're from Olathe. If you're from Harrison, Ohio. If you're from wherever you're from, it doesn't matter. God wants to use you to lead. And when God appears to Moses and tells him to lead, the only response that's right for Moses is to lead. I know that's deep. When someone by the name of Yahweh appears to you in a burning bush and says, lead, go set my people free. There's only one right response if you're Moses. Yes, sir. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, that Jesus lives perfectly and without sin, and he teaches 12 how to walk full of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And then he looks at them and says, the Holy Spirit came on me. Now the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Acts chapter 1 and then you, therefore, go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Then the person that's a disciple of Jesus Christ, the person that has said yes to Jesus, and I want to be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and I want to do all that God has called me to, then you just read the scriptures, and as Yahweh tells Moses to lead, so what we read in the scriptures is, Put whatever word you want to be more descriptive. Serve, care for, 
make disciples. But the idea, the broad idea, is lead. Show them Jesus. Lead. Serve them. Pray for them. Demonstrate what it is to be like Christ. That's leadership. When God told Moses to lead, there was only one right response. Lead. And when Jesus calls us to make disciples, there's only one right response. Make disciples. Go do it. Yeah, but, but David, I don't have the gift mix. I'm not talking about your gift mix. Yeah, but David, no. But I'm not from the right place. No. But my car's not quite right. No. But I don't look quite right. No. Our response is, I lead. I lead where I'm at. I go surf. We had General Schwarzkopf. I know most of you don't know who that is, but he was uh, led in the early 90s back when you were born, in the Gulf War. And uh, he came and he spoke right down here. Dan and I went to this convention. Yeah. And uh, he spoke, and the, the one thing that I remember that he said, you know, huge dude, camouflage, general, and he said, when you're given a position of leadership, you lead. So he says it as the military of America, the truth is, it's a biblical concept. When you've been given a position, not based upon your own personal success, but based upon the cross, based upon what Jesus did, the finished work of the cross, you have a call, you have a responsibility. It's not up to you, it's up to Jesus, but Jesus uses you, and you lead. When you're given a position of leadership, Go lead. And I think if I was Joshua and I watched, I don't know all that Joshua saw. I don't know how old he was. But when you are a young man and you see a guy just lead like that, the call of God, and he leads, something rises up within you that goes, I want to be like that guy. I'll stay in the tent. Moses goes out. He talks to God. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to stay in the tent. Number two, Moses leads with the power of God. I already mentioned the plagues, but you could only fathom what it was like to watch, to see plague after plague after plague where God, Yahweh, protects his people and sends destruction. You can only imagine going, whoa, this God is powerful. There's any, if there's a 20-year-old that's walking in the power of God, you can, I, I guarantee you, 15-year-olds, what is that? I want that. Stefan and I were meeting with some high school students today. Our conversation was the power of God intrigue. Is God working? Does God do miracles today? Imagine. Just imagine. Joshua and his buddies, they go, if there's a man that walks in the power of God, I want to be like that cat. I want it. (laughs) 
I mean, they're all dead. You know what I mean? Like, whoa. I mean, I know we make a joke about that, but can you fathom if you spent the entirety of your life as a slave being beaten and then your God, the God of your forefathers leads you through the Red Sea and there's like fish flopping around and you're just like going through on dry land and then all of a sudden God destroys them. I mean, the, I mean you'd be like, oh. it's not, I mean, step out of the children's story and imagine the emotion of it. And then there's the moment where it's like, All right, now we got a wilderness. Nice speech. Now what do we do? <laughs> you know, like, sorry. But that is the Christian journey, by the way. That is the Christian journey. He defeats the enemy. I say yes to the cross. I'm going to follow you. And then half the time we're like, sweet, here we go. And we're like, desert. <laughs> Why desert? Because Yahweh wants his people to depend on him. He is their guide and he is their source. And he just taught them that it wasn't about them. Oh yeah, I once was a slave. That was, that was lame. Now I walk with Yahweh. Yahweh takes care of me. You're gonna give me water from a rock. You're gonna lead me by pillars of fire by night. You're gonna send me bread from heaven. And sometimes it feels pretty monotonous. Same meal, same rock, same drinking fountain. 40 years. And I'll be honest with you, in my journey, <laughs> there's good days and there's bad days, but a lot of it is same prayer, same scriptures, same bread, same drink, same God. Lead me through the night, though I cannot see. All I can see is where you're taking me. That's all I got. I'll tell you this power of God. When someone says, I'm going to tap into the power of God, I can guarantee you those boys, those young boys, Joshua, the young man, was going, you know, this Moses guy's got something figured out. This Moses guy, God's using this guy. So if Moses is going to go inside the tent and hang out there, uh-uh. I'll do the night watch, man. I'll stay late. I want to be there. Not only is Moses a leader, not only does Moses walk in power, but Moses knows God. <laughs> I mean, just, just think about, you're watching Exodus 32, and Moses goes up, and Moses talks with God, and Moses tells the story of how God appeared to him in a burning bush, and first time you hear it, you're like, you're crazy, but then Exodus 32, he comes back, and he's like, hey, I've been talking with God, Exodus 33, he comes back, and he's like talking to God like a man talks to his friend, Exodus 34, you know, you keep going, his face radiates, I mean, glowing, I mean, you can imagine, it's not, I mean, Moses keeps going up, God talks to him, finger of God in the rock, Ten Commandments, you know, if you're a young man or a young woman and you see that, there's something attractive about the earth. What on earth is, this guy, he's not only a leader I and mean, he led us out of, I mean, Egypt, 
this guy not only walked in the power of God, this cat knows God. This guy is having dialogue. Show me your glory. Nah, show me your glory. Nah, show me your glory. You can see my backside. I mean, th <laughs> this dude converses. Yahweh. So if he's going to go out, and he's going to go into the tent of meeting, and he's going to talk with God, there's something dynamic about, I want to know God like Moses knows God. I want to embrace the methodologies that Moses embraces. Why? Because I want the reality that Moses experiences. Because I'm eager and I'm hungry and I don't want to just live an average life. No, I want God to use me. I want to walk in the power of God. I want to serve the people well. Moses walked in power. I want to walk in power. Moses led the people. I want to lead the people. I saw it. I'm Joshua. I was leading. I mean, you read about Exodus 17. And he's leading a war. Rephidim. It's called Rephidim. And they're, you know the story? Moses' hands go up. And while Moses' hands go up, there's a guy named Hur and another guy named Aaron. Aaron and Hur. Aaron, sorry. Looking at my peanut gallery. Hey, all you went to theology school. Help me out. All right, so Aaron and Hur, they're standing there. And when Moses, hand, they put their, his hands go up, Joshua. I mean, he just takes them out with his buddies. When the hands go down, they become hobbits. I mean, they got no power. They start to lose. Joshua goes, I've seen this guy walk in the power of God. Whoa. He's a leader. Walks in the power of God, and he knows God. He talks to him like a man talks to his friend. We're talking about God ages. I'll tell you this, friends. It's a generation in this city that has never entered our walls. They have never set foot on this campus. And if they connect with young people, leaders that know God, that walk in the power of God, and that lead, they'll follow. They'll follow. I know it in my own life. In my own life, I'm in my mid-30s and I'm still looking. If there's a man that knows God in his 60s, in his 30s, Yay in his 20s. I'll follow. Something pop inside of me. There's someone that's walking in the power of God. It's happened to me over and over again. That's why I had Britt Hancock come here and preach for four and a half hours. There's a crazy man in Mexico that sees miracles and knows God. I'll come. Preach. Yell. Pray. Scream. Whatever you want to do. Show us. It's true of a generation. God is calling us to lead them. A couple more, I'm almost done. Kind of. First closing. Be four or five of those. Moses crushes idols. It takes a man of God to crush idols. Very few men of God are willing to take the backlash from the people 
that love the idols. If you crush the idols, you can guarantee you'll have a ticked off people. People love their idols. They're like little pets that they adore. They keep them close. When you touch them, they get mad. You crush them, they'll kill you. I've found, it's so funny. I've found, I can, I can preach all day long about God liking you, God loving you, or walking with God, or uh, evangelism, or prayer. But the moment I start talking about crushing the things that we love, the crowd, how dare you push back. I learned it as a young preacher early on. People got ticked. You bring up something real that could be a real, because it's like a wound, you know? It's like you can list, you know, thing, comma, you know, you can say, um, if you say football, comma, clothes, comma, the mall, comma. I mean, you know, once you go down the list, the moment you touch theirs, don't you know I'm free in Christ? No, I got to do that to reach people and all this junk. Bottom line is, bottom line is, if you're going to lead a generation, you're going to have to have the courage to crush idols and to articulate idols. Moses comes off the mountain, Exodus 32. Just let me just read this. It's just funny. Exodus 32, verse 19. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned. So you know the story. This is where the... Moses goes up to talk with God, and while Moses is talking to God, the people throw all of their jewelry and all of their stuff into the pot and create a calf, right? Just like they had in Egypt. He threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, which they had made, and burned it with fire. I just want you to catch this. So this is the calf that they've taken all of their treasured possessions. They've created a golden calf. He took the calf. Just get this. So are you, are you with me? Moses comes off the mountain. He's just been talking to God. They've taken all their treasured possessions, made the golden calf like they used to worship back in Egypt. He took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire. And he ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Oh, that's a ticked off man of God right there. He's talking to God. He's like, God, what's up? He's like, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's like, I got that one. We got that one. That's one for one. Easy. And then he goes down. He goes through all ten. He goes down. Number one, the graven image. They made a calf. He's so mad. Oh, you got, oh, oh, it was worse than that. He was a five foot five ticked off Moses. Ground it to powder, sprinkled it over the water, and made them drink it. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, he's literally like, drink this, sucker face, drink it, drink it! <laughs> I have no idea how one man makes them drink golden calf powder milk juice water. <laughs> But I do know the motive. I can't tell you how, but I can tell you what it, a holy indignation. 
No! I've been talking to God. God told me we don't do that. No, we shall have no other gods but him. We're going to have one God. He's our God. He's looking for a people. He's called us to be his people. He's taken care of us. He's redeemed us from the Egyptians. He's set us free from slavery. He's taking care of us every single day. Every day. He's taking us to a good place. He's taking us to a promised land. Why would we worship that? No, don't. That's what's going on inside of it. You know what lives inside of youth culture today? Half of the youth pastors in the land, they take the idols and they try to make it relevant. You can drink it and take some Yahweh too. Not in this house. God is calling us to look at the idols that live in our day and call it like it is. And that's going to be hard in the moment that you do that. There will be pushback. How dare you? How dare you? And that's always the response. I'm, I, I, I get to decide that. I get to spend my money the way that I want. I get to spend the time that I, that, well, are you a Christ follower? Well, yes, as long as it gives me a better life. Oh, that's not Christianity. That's narcissism. That's using Jesus for your happiness. That's called, you are your own God. And you use God like you use your cash, like you use your visa, like you use Papa John's pizza, whatever makes you happy. That is not Christianity. Christianity is there is one God, and he is king, and he is Lord, and he's the only thing that I worship. And I will have no other gods but him. And anything else that comes close to getting my affections, I want some wild man to come off the mountain and crush it and make me drink it. Let me see it. That's, that's the kind of crowd is right here tonight that goes, amen. But it's, it is a rare breed. But as you lead in your campus groups, as you go out one-on-one with high school students, I'm begging you to crush idols. Please don't make them drink anything weird. (laughs) But in loving kindness, because you love them and you fear God, lead. Crush idols. One, lead. Two, walk in power. Holy Spirit's available to us. He wants us to walk in power. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You You'll receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, God, crush idols, and we'll reach a generation. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.